Welcome to episode 9 of the Truth Quest podcast, where we are going to tackle the truth about the American healthcare system. Before we begin, I want to ask you to share the show. You can share it generally by, hey, check out this new podcast, or you can share it strategically, which is probably the most effective method. When you find yourself having a conversation about minimum wage, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the NFL national anthem protests, social security, share the actual show with your debate partner. And finally, please consider supporting the show with a few dollars. I will plow every donated dollar I get into marketing the show, trying to expand its reach. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the link to the patronage page. I want to start with a brief history lesson of healthcare in America. As with many things that are wrong with America today, the demise of the healthcare system began in the 1940s when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration instituted artificial wage and price controls in response to labor shortages. As is always the case with government intervention in the free market, those impacted by the regulations, in this case the employers, found a way around it. With new restrictions on wages, employers found other ways to compensate their employees. One way was to pay for their health insurance, a so-called fringe benefit. As the Cato Institute explains, before World War II, individuals generally purchased medical services just like any other economic commodity and paid for them just like any other economic commodity out of their own pockets. But during the war, many companies began to offer medical benefits in a way to avoid price controls and to take advantage of the tax code. There was an explosion of private health care coverage shortly after World War II. In the 1950s, the tax code was adjusted to benefit employees as the insurance was deemed as not taxable as income. Companies were also allowed to write off the expense. While at the same time labor unions were negotiating health insurance into their contracts, that forced non-union companies to continue the practice in order to compete for workers. Thus, the idea became more and more mainstream. What about the poor and the elderly who do not have access to employer-based health insurance? In the 1960s, Medicaid and Medicare were launched. Through these programs, the federal government now accounted for over 50% of all American health care expenditures. So over the course of three decades, the system of employer-based health insurance was solidified. A third-party payer system was set in stone. A huge entitlement system was established, and the federal government became the largest purchaser of healthcare services. What could possibly go wrong? A lot could and did go wrong, and most of the blame can be put at the foot of, the, of government meddling. One of the most visible problems with the rising cost of healthcare was the destruction of the customer-client relationship between doctors and patients. There is no need or incentive to treat the patient as a client. The insurance company is the client. The government is the client. As the use of third-party payers increased, employer purchase insurance and the government via Medicare and Medicaid, there was a decrease in the out-of-pocket expenses of consumers. Demand for health care increased as third-party payers picked up the majority of the tab for health care services. Prices rose as demand increased, and with the consumer removed from the equation, the incentives to monitor the level of spending was gone. Human nature and Econ 101 easily explain the phenomenon of rising costs of healthcare. If someone else is paying the bill, you tend to consume more. If your friend is buying dinner, you order that additional glass of wine. If your employer is paying for your rental car or reimbursing you for the hotel room, 
you upgrade the car, and or you ask for the suite. It is no different with third-party paid health insurance. $15 or $20 co-pays for an office visit means you go there every time you get the sniffles. However, if you have a $3,000 or $5,000 deductible, you might try a few home remedies before heading off to the doctor. Need an MRI on your shoulder? Under the third-party payer system, you head off to the nearest clinic and never even ask how much it costs. If you are paying out of pocket, you might just make a few phone calls and find out how much different clinics charge and make them compete for your business. Many of you have heard the argument made about the falling costs of LASIK eye surgery or cosmetic surgery over the past 10 or 15 years. Perhaps it has something to do with the fact that consumers who want these procedures have to pay out of pocket and actually shop around for the best deal. Voila, the price goes down. It's not magic, it's the free market, it's Econ 101. Another reason healthcare costs have risen over the past three or four decades is the reimbursement rates paid by Medicaid and Medicare. Partial reimbursements for services rendered leave the healthcare providers coming up short. Where do they go to make up the difference? By charging private insurers more. Another reason healthcare costs have risen is due to another Economics 101 concept, scarcity. Specifically, a scarcity of doctors. The number of doctors is artificially restricted by the American Medical Association via restrictions on the accreditation of medical schools. 19 states are limited to having a single medical school. Why? Have you noticed how market forces have started to rectify this situation despite the AMA's efforts via the proliferation of nurse practitioners and physicians' assistants? Administrative and paperwork costs instituted by third-party payers looking for ways to control their costs have themselves increased the cost of providing health care. Think about the staff at your doctor's office. How many of them are actually providing medical services? How many are doing other things? Paperwork, dealing with insurance companies, fighting with Medicaid, Medicare to get paid. Staff costs alone unnecessarily increase the cost of health care. How about the fear of malpractice lawsuits? How are they impacted health care costs? Doctors are easy targets for lawsuits. Because of that, malpractice insurance rates continue to rise. As insurance rates rise, that cost is passed on to you. This phenomenon also feeds the problem of overuse of medical services as doctors are forced to practice defensive medicine in order to fend off any future malpractice lawsuits. They must prove that they ordered every possible test. Prohibitions from purchasing medical insurance across state lines also impacts costs. When Obamacare became law, there were over 2,100 state mandates imposed on health insurance providers. Each mandate raises the cost of the policy. Try navigating 50 states with 50 different sets of mandates. In his book, No They Can't, John Stossel summarized the dilemma well when he argued, if we allowed patients to act like consumers, looking out for themselves in a competitive market, then providers, even insurance companies, would fight to win business by keeping costs down. He points out that we never see advertisements from health insurance companies bragging about their lower prices. They don't need to advertise prices because there's no consumer market. We watch funny Geico commercials, but Geico sells car, motorcycle, and renter's insurance. When someone else pays, prices go up. Have you ever wondered why other areas of the economy with minimal government interference does not experience out-of-control pricing? Why do car dealers publish prices on their websites and in the advertisements that, that are lower than the sticker prices. 
because independent websites like Edmunds, AutoTrader, and Kelly Blue Book publish detailed pricing information for consumers. These sites provide this information for free. Why? Because consumers want such information, and businesses see an opportunity in providing it, even for free. What about mortgage rates, restaurant reviews, car and life insurance, mutual fund performance? There are hundreds of websites dedicated to the dissemination of information in all of these industries. There is no such demand for, such in, for that information in the healthcare industry because consumers do not pay for the services out of pocket. A third party is almost always paying for our healthcare. Keep those arguments in mind the next time you hear someone argue that the reason healthcare in the United States is screwed up is because of the free market system. Be gentle in your rebuttal of this obviously ignorant comment. How can they argue that we have a free market problem when the federal government is responsible for over 50% of the healthcare spending in the country via Medicaid and Medicare? How can they argue that we have a free market problem when third-party payers are the customers of healthcare providers, not the patient? How can they argue that we have a free market problem when the customer rarely knows the price of the service being provided to them? I want to conclude this episode with a did-you-know segment. The purpose of which is to dispel common misconceptions about the American healthcare system. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for some of the source material published in 2009 by the National Center for Policy and Analysis. Did you know that critics of the American healthcare system who claim our infant mortality rate is lower than other countries are not telling you the whole story, which is that these studies do not apply the same definitions to all countries? The United States counts every baby who shows signs of life as having been born. Other countries' definition is not so generous. France and Belgium classify a baby born at less than 26 weeks as dead. In Switzerland, a baby has to be at least 30 centimeters long to be classified as living. Then there is Cuba, which self-reports their data. No wonder they are constantly held up as a beacon of the best healthcare in the world. Did you know that Americans have better survival rates than Europeans for common cancers? Breast cancer mortality is 52% higher in Germany than the United States and 88% higher in the United Kingdom. Prostate cancer mortality is 600% higher in the UK and 450% higher in Norway. But wait, I thought these countries with socialized medical systems were superior in every way to the United States. Did you know that Americans have lower cancer mortality rates than Canadians? Breast cancer mortality is 9% higher Prostate cancer is 184% higher. Colon cancer mortality among men is 10% higher than in the United States. Did you know that Americans have better access to treatment of chronic diseases than patients in other developed countries? One example is the use of statins, which reduce cholesterol and protect against heart disease. A larger percentage of Americans who could benefit from the use of these drugs receive them, 56%, than the Dutch, which is 36%, the Swiss, 29%, Germany, 26%, Brits, 23%, and Italians, 17%. Did you know Americans have better access to preventative cancer screenings than Canadians? 9 out of 10 middle-aged American women have had a mammogram, compared to less than three-quarters in Canada. Nearly all women, 96%, have had a pap smear, compared to less than 90% of Canadians. More than half of American men, 54%, have had a PSA test compared to less than one in six in Canada. Nearly one-third of Americans have had a colonoscopy compared to less than one in 20 in Canada. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? I named this podcast The Truth Quest for a reason. 
I don't want to rely on a single news outlet to inform me because they all have bias. Some are worse than others, but I need to know what is true, not what some talking head, columnist, or editorial board tries to portray as true. For years, especially leading up to the passage of the Affordable Care Act, we were bombarded by the mainstream media and the National Democratic Party telling us about the woeful American healthcare system. They explain over and over again how great the healthcare systems are in countries with socialized medicine, specifically our neighbor to the North, Canada, and the Brits. We even have to endure amateuristic propaganda-laced documentaries by the likes of Michael Moore, who extolled the virtues of the Cuban healthcare system. Cuba. This is a country, as mentioned a minute ago, that is allowed to self-report their healthcare statistics to the World Health Organization. This is a country where the most prolific automobile is a 1952 Chevy. Not because the Cuban people are wealthy and collect antique cars. No, it's because they can only afford to pay 300 bucks for a car. Let's continue to examine the truth. Did you know that lower-income Americans are in better health than comparable Canadians? Twice as many American seniors with below-median incomes self-report excellent health compared to Canadian seniors, 12% versus 6%. Conversely, white Canadian young adults with below-median incomes are 20% more likely than lower-income Americans to describe their health as fair or poor. Did you know that Americans spend less time waiting for care than patients in Canada and the United Kingdom? Canada and British patients wait about twice as long, sometimes more than a year to see a specialist, to have elective surgery like hip replacement or to get radiation treatment for cancer. All told, over 800,000 people are waiting for some type of procedure in Canada. In England, nearly 1.8 million people are waiting for a hospital admission or outpatient treatment. Can you say rationing? Why would we willingly sign up for a system like that? Did you know that people in countries with more government control of healthcare are highly dissatisfied and believe reform is needed? More than 70% of German, Canadian, Australian, New Zealand, and British adults say their health system needs either fundamental change or complete rebuilding. Can you say VA? The United States Veterans Affairs is a perfect example of the implementation of a socialized, one-size-fits-all, government-run healthcare system. What have the results been? A corrosive culture with a huge bloated bureaucracy with little accountability that forces veterans to wait months to see a doctor. A system where one-third of eligible veterans actually use it to get healthcare. Veterans that can afford not to use the VA don't. And finally, it's a system where the only solution our imbecile members of Congress can come up with is to throw more money at the problem. It's disgusting. Did you know that Americans are more satisfied with the care they receive than Canadians? When asked about their own health care, instead of the health care system, more than half Americans, 51%, are very satisfied with health care services, compared to only 42% of Canadians. A lower proportion of Americans are dissatisfied. 7% than Canadians, 8.5%. Did you know that Americans have much better access to important new technologies like medical imaging than patients in Canada or the UK? American physicians overwhelmingly identify CT and MRI technologies as the most important medical innovations for improving patient care during the previous decade. The United States has 34 CT scanners per million Americans, compared to 12 in Canada 
and 8 in Britain. The United States has nearly 27 MRI machines per million compared to 6 per million in Canada and Britain. Did you know that Americans are responsible for the vast majority of medical innovations? The top five hospitals conduct more clinical trials than all the hospitals in any single developed country. Look up the history of the Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology and tell me what you find. So as we conclude this episode about healthcare in America, and we look forward to future episodes about the Obamacare law, socialized medicine, and how to reform the American healthcare system, I challenge you to go on your own truth quest. Do some research on Obamacare. Try to determine why the National Democratic Party shoved that legislation down our throats. Discover how the Supreme Court was able to offer a majority opinion opinion indicating that the law was constitutional. And then finally, investigate what can be done to fix and improve the American healthcare system.